Welcome to Bloombox Growing Deeper. I'm Sarah. I'm Hannah. And we're on a mission to help you become the gardener you want to be. Welcome back to Bloombox Growing Deeper. Today we're going to try to answer this big question of how can we get involved with gardening if you live in an apartment? We get this question all the time, and neither Hannah or I live in apartments. So we brought in Christina Hoyt from the Nebraska Forest Service, who has lived in an apartment for a long time and has beautiful gardens on her patio to share some of her tips and tricks and um, how she gets this done. So Christina, how do we garden in apartments? And first, I think we want to talk a little bit about the types of apartments, because that's going to change how we garden there. Absolutely. So, you know, I think about all of the many apartments I've lived in over the years and you have, you know, the apartments where there's really no outside space. There are folks that have those where there's no balcony or outside space. You have apartments where the access to the apartment is only indoors. So if you were going to, you know, bring something to your balcony, you'd actually have to travel through your apartment um, to be able to access that space. There's the apartments that, you know, open, maybe have an outside entrance to them. So maybe access is easier. You could be on different levels. So it could really change um, what apartment living looks like. You could be in an apartment that's more like in a house. So there's just like so many variations to this thing that we call, you know, apartment living. Um, and it really changes for everybody. Yeah, I'm thinking about the rise in apartments downtown Lincoln here yeah. that have rooftop access. Oh, sure. And people trying to do gardens on the rooftop, which I'm sure is really great for the sun. You know, you're going to get a lot of sunlight up there. But trying to get stuff <laughs> from wherever you're parking. I lived at a downtown apartment for a little while, and our parking was underground under the building. And then we were on the fourth floor with rooftop access from there. So trying to get stuff from underground all the way up to the roof was a problem. So do you have like an elevator or something? Oh, yeah, we definitely had an elevator. Yeah. yeah, not in the apartment, though. You got to get it up to your floor and then to your your apartment and then up another floor. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It can be really challenging and a big logistics. Uh, you have to think through a lot of things to be able to do simple gardening. I did see a Facebook post last week where um, somebody had found a goose nest on their rooftop apartment in Lincoln. They didn't say where, obviously, wow. but I assume downtown somewhere. That's really cool. I thought it was cool. So yeah, I've lived in a variety of places anywhere from, you know, we had direct outdoor access. Um, I didn't put in a garden there. I did try to do a vegetable garden on a patio one time. I think I got one strawberry and then the squirrels got everything else. Yes. So that didn't quite work out. Did you live in an apartment, Sarah? I lived in two when I was interested in gardening. So I lived in some before that, but I lived in one that was like your standard open access to the stairwell. So you shared a front patio, but then you had a typical balcony on the back of your apartment, which is where we tried to garden because the front just, you know, apartments have different community styles and this one wasn't one where you left stuff on your front stairs. And then I did live in like a converted house apartment where I had no balcony. So I just had lots of house plants. Which is also a great way to garden. It is. And that's, you know, it was very beautiful because it was this big attic apartment. And so we had all these little garret windows. We actually had a ton of sunlight because we were up higher above 
the surrounding houses. So we had a ton of house plants in that one. That's perfect for plants. Yeah. And I just thought of another part of apartments, though, when I mentioned that, you know, I lived in the one where you didn't leave things on your front steps. My sister currently lives in an apartment that's very um, open to helping you do whatever you're trying to do. And so they leave wagons down in their lobbies labeled for each building. So if you need to bring stuff in from your car to the elevator to your apartment, and then clearly this is just a good enough of a community, everybody returns these wagons. So the, what your landlord thinks can I make a big idea. difference. I agree. I think the landlord can make a big difference in how you garden. I'm lucky right now. I live in an apartment where I have outside access so you actually are coming directly into my apartment and I have a gigantic balcony on it um but my landlord is super supportive of gardening so he doesn't care that I go and like hook up the hose to the spigot <laughs> and use that to water my plants and I've taken over space outside actually in ground space as well and helped him with some renovations so um that definitely changes the dynamic um, when you're trying to garden in an apartment building. Yeah, and I was just thinking of your apartment because you've got all your plants are on your sh kind of shared porch area. And clearly you have enough of a community in your apartment area that that's very welcome and um, people kind of respect your space. Yeah, so I have, you know, it's kind of my, I guess my balcony, but, you know, everybody kind of walks by it as they're going up to their apartments. Um, and everyone loves it. I mean, I think that's the thing I've noticed the most is people watch and pay attention and you think, ah, no one cares about the fact I have flowers out or not. But then people comment on them or they see the changes and they like how it looks. Same with like the in-ground garden that I've kind of started that's right along the front walk. Um, so that's fun too. The thing I, I've noticed the most is other people have started to put pots out as well on their balconies. So that's always fun to see that kind of move along in the apartment building. Do they ever come and ask you for help or assistance? You know, or is it just like a observant thing? I have had one person ask me for some assistance, but the funny thing is once I got a knock on my door and somebody had bags of plants for me that they had rescued from their <laughs> grandmother. <laughs> And they wondered if I wanted to plant them out in the garden. And I did. It was like some pasta and some other things. So anyway, that was kind of fun. So, you know, people do pay attention. All right. So when we're gardening in an apartment situation, what are some things to consider? Or what what did you find were the struggles when you started? Yeah. I, you know, when we think about gardening in apartments, the first things to consider are really the same things you're considering if you were gardening in a home landscape or a school landscape or wherever you might be plant planting. Um, so things like, you know, what's your exposure like? What's your light like? How much sunlight are you getting? Is it shady? Is it um, shady at certain times of the day or um, sunny, like really, really hot and sunny at certain times? A lot of times we forget that. We'll look outside and be like, oh, it's a shady space. And we forget that at two o'clock in the afternoon, the sun actually hits a part of it really harshly. Um, I've noticed that about apartments specifically. If you get up on a concrete balcony on the side of a light color building, the same amount of sun that you would get on the ground is that much more intense and hot. Absolutely. So that is one of the unique challenges as you get some of that reflection off of buildings, that heat. 
Um, the other thing that, you know, we think about wind exposure when we're doing our, our general landscapes, but particularly in apartments, as soon as you're up off the ground, your wind exposure is changing. <laughs> um, so I like my balcony is actually would be considered like a story off the ground. So I get a lot of wind like and it's pretty things get can get torn up pretty easily. Um, the You know, the other thing I think is like even shade. Um, if your shade is coming from building shade, it's a pretty dense shade. There's not that filtered sunlight coming through, like if you had shade under a tree, for example. Um, so that's also something to consider. Like you might not actually be getting as much sun as you even think you are. Um, and you're going to need really, really shady plants. So I think if you can think through those things and also kind of from the, from the start, like what realistically are you going to be able to haul out onto your space? <laughs> like just to be realistic up front, like, you know, how much soil are you going to be able to get out there? How are you going to get water? What that access is like? If you can think through some of those things before you even get into the, like, what do I want to plant and what are my gardening goals? Um, it, that can help inform that and be more successful in the long run. Yeah, I've been working with this um, lady who really loves Bloombox. She's been following the Bloombox program for a while, but she lives in an apartment that is not only on a shadier side of the building, but her um, railing is solid wood. Yes. So rather than having like railing bars that would let light through, it's solid. Yeah. And so we've been talking about um, how she could lift the plants up off the ground. So mm -hmm. maybe um, attaching some hanging pots or like uh, window boxes to the side of that. And then she's going to go thrift some like side tables and, and risers for her pots yeah. so that we can get them up to up to the light. <laughs> I love that idea. I use that too. So I have, well, first of all, it helps protect the wood deck. So that's something to think about if your apartments, you don't want to damage whatever your space you're living in. Um, but yeah, it is a way to lift things up. Like I have one area where if I just lift it up like 18 more inches, all of a sudden it goes from like part sun to actually getting far more light. Um, so I will use some kind of riser to do that. I do have some, uh, I think some of my vegetables in a pot that is like a, how do how would I describe this? It goes on the railing. So it has like a cutout on it so that it can sit on the railing because I put it at the top of my fence. So it holds like my parsley and cilantro, yeah. which needs a lot of sun. And also I'm not going to grow in the ground. So yeah. And so that could work really well for her as well. Yeah. And it could work um, in places where you don't need the railing to hold on to. <laughs> I love railing planters. I have quite a few and you can find them to fit all different kinds of railings. Like mine are kind of weird. They're those like super narrow vinyl ones. And I actually had to do like a special order online to find the ones that fit that. Um, but yeah, that's a great way to be able to add space. And if you're like a super big plant nerd and need just <laughs> more, more space to be able to grow all your plants, like that's another surface too. There's also some really creative vertical gardening options, which mm -hmm. I've never... Some of them I haven't tried, you know, the like specifically sold vertical vegetable gardening poles. I've never tried those. So I, 
I'm kind of leery of the root space in them, I think. But I've hung those, you know, flat-backed pots that are meant to hang on your wall all over the back, of, you know, all over around the door to my apartment. And then um, I've seen those succulent walls that people make out of pallets, um, which you have to have, you know, you got to think about the amount of weight your patio can hold and what you're hanging on it. Um, and some of those things can get kind of heavy, but they are a vertical. Right. And hanging pots would be the other thing I would think, like, if there's something you can hang from, you know, the if, if there's a surface above your patio you can hang off of. It was at a big box store, I think, like last week, and they had pre like pre-planted annuals in hanging bags that, that could work as well. I couldn't stay long enough to figure out, like, were you supposed to leave them in the bag? I couldn't tell yeah. what was happening there. Do you but recall was, what they planted in them? I thought they were petunias. Yeah, I feel like that's what I see a lot. What did you plant in your, when you used the vertical? I did, well, mine were like those, if you took a round pot and cut it in half, so it was oh. flat on the back. Um, and I did all my herbs. So I did like thyme and oregano. I wanted yeah. things that were going to drape out. And like, I was trying to cover the wall in green. Yeah. Was my goal. And did it work okay? It did. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, they definitely, it's it's a little root space. Yeah. Because you lost half the circle. So I had to do a lot of fertilizing. And I did end up having to repot them with a nicer soil mix right. than I had originally used the cheap the yeah. cheap kind. Um, so they didn't, they dried out really fast. But as long as I stayed on top of watering them, they did great. What's the most like unusual pot you've used and been successful growing? Well, I think my love of tea is well documented on this podcast. And I used to have a succulent collection in teacups because oh. I had a tea in my um, attic apartment. I had a teeny tiny uh, window ledge, but it was really long. And so I filled it with teacups full of succulents. I love that idea. That's fun. That was actually the same thing I was going to say. I have some teacups that I actually drew mustaches on too <laughs> that I would put succulents in. It was a good place to start when they, you know, if they broke off of another one that I had, it was a good place to get them started until they needed a bigger pot. Yeah, I love that idea. Since leaving that apartment, I I still have all of the teacups, and they have been used for a tea party. I did just choose not to tell people that they have been previously planters. <laughs> you know, as many of my uh, kitchen dishes end up as a plant support <laughs> dish at some point, I don't tell people either. <laughs> what about you? Have you used an unusual pot? You know, I saw somebody use a cowboy boot one time. Ooh. That's fun. I like that idea. Oh, on my way to work, somebody has those. Have you seen the jeans hanging off the fence? Yeah. There's there's a row of three of them on Highway 77 that I drive by every day, and they make me laugh. I love that. That's fun. I mean, I think if you were good at, like, at sewing, hey, you could do it, Sarah. <laughs> Sarah's good at sewing. <laughs> that would be fun to, like, make even, like, a hanging pocket out of, like, upcycle material. So... I can't think of any super unusual ones that I've done. I, I think once I was at a store and found this really cheap, like, metal. I think it was for mail, honestly. It was, like, one of those things that you hang on the wall to put mail in. And, of course, I'm like, I could fill it with moss and plant plants and hang it off of, like, one of the pieces of brick that's sticking out. That worked okay. Um, 
but a lot of the pots I have now, I've just transitioned to like really large pots. Um, like I think if people look at them at first, they'd be like, whoa, those are really big pots for the space. But it's just easier for me than having to like try to garden in a whole bunch of small pots um, and keep those watered. Small pots dry out so fast. Um, but as long as we're on the topic of big pots, let's talk about managing the weight. Oh. Um, because, yeah. you know, your apartment's pretty sturdy. The one I gardened in was a concrete patio. It wasn't going yeah. anywhere. But um, I've been in apartments where <laughs> you might want to be careful of the weight you're adding to these patios. So do you do a lot of plastic or ceramic or do you do a mix of both? I have a mixture of both. Um, my the biggest pots I have are plastic. Um, and they're, I mean, I, I got nice plastic pots, but like I have one that's probably a couple feet tall and several feet wide. And that one's plastic. And then what I do, um, and it's maybe less about the weight and more about me being cheap, <laughs> but I fill the bottom of that pot with like milk jugs and recycling um empty milk jugs empty <laughs> empty milk jugs not the not full milk oh, that would smell <laughs> <That'd be gross. laughs> <Sorry>. yeah <laughs> let's clarify that um so yes empty uh recycled rinsed out recycled containers um and i will fill the whole bottom of the pots actually quite a few of my bigger pots with that and then i will put the um garden or the potting soil on it um you know, honestly, you don't need like two and a half feet deep of potting soil. And um, it just helps reduce the weight. I also, um, in any big pot, I put them on um, saucers that have wheels because it just helps. If you need to move something around, you know, as you're gardening and you get a big pot, even if you've put in the recycling at the bottom, like it's still really, really heavy to move. And it keeps it off the deck as well. Um, if you have a rickety deck, I, I'm trying to think. I did live in an apartment with a rickety deck once. I don't think I gardened in that apartment. <laughs> um, I, you know, you might consider smaller things. Like maybe you have a few smaller pots with just herbs or you have like maybe a railing planter. But maybe like loading your entire balcony with um, lots and lots and lots of plants wouldn't be appropriate. Yeah, and maybe where you put them because, you know, the deck is going to be more supported um, close to the building. Or if you see where your support posts are and keep your plants over those. Um, but another thought you brought to mind with the saucers. I don't usually bother with saucers for my outdoor plants in my own yard. But in an apartment, I would saucer everything because you have a downstairs neighbor who probably doesn't want to get watered while they're sitting out on their deck reading yeah. their book. That's interesting. So I, my saucers are not, would not keep the water in. Like they're just like wire. Um, so I guess maybe that's sauce. I don't know what you'd call that. Plant caddy. Maybe that, I think that's the technical term as a plant caddy. But I agree, that's the one thing to think about if you're in a spot where you need to be careful of the downstairs person and respectful. I love that idea of putting saucers under things. You just need to be careful then if you have like a really big rain, how you're going to deal with that because those pots can't be sitting in water um, for a long time. 
That's my biggest trouble with pots, even even at a house, is that, you know, they're not part of the ground. And so making sure they drain that excess rainwater. Um, sometimes if you go to my house after a big rain, my pots will all be laying on their sides draining out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, as we talk about all these, like, fun things we can do for, you know, containers, the, the biggest thing I think of is make sure there's drainage holes Um, and a lot of times, especially particularly in plastic pots, I will add more. Um, they just don't drain, um, as easily. Yeah. My railing pot that I have, I had to add a bunch of extra holes to it. And I'm sure they don't, they do that so that you don't get water all over every time you water. But if you want the plants to do well, you're going to need some good drainage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I don't know, like the other thing, you know, I think about when we're planting is what kind of soil you're putting in those pots too. Um, You don't want to do something like go and get, if you go to the like hardware store or box store and you're looking at soils and you're like, oh, that bag of soil is $5 and all these other bags are like 10 or 15. Well, that bag of $5 bag is probably like a garden soil or topsoil which is made for in-ground use. Um, and those potting soils, um, they're really a soilless type of mix. Not all soils are created equal, yeah. <laughs> basically. I learned that the hard way. Yeah, because it can really, I mean, the, the potting soils are created to provide extra drainage. So your plants can have a good oxygen exchange and you can like, you know, water can kind of move through that potting soil system. Um, and if you, you know, look at a back of a bag of potting soil, actually in preparation for this, found a soil that I liked and looked at the back of the bag and it's like peat moss, aged bark, perlite, plant food. I like how specific that is. (laughs) (laughs) A wedding agent and coconut husk. Or here's one that has like some compost, like peat moss, compost, forest products, <laughs> worm castings, pumice, and perlite. So you can see these aren't, you know, like it's not like clay, sand. Yeah. yeah, if you remember our soil episode and we talked about sand, silt, clay being the base of all of our soil, Hannah's yeah. laughing because she had very little faith in the excitement of a soil episode and then we talked for an hour and a half and i had to edit it down soil's complicated and it's part of a system and so in a pot we've completely removed it from its system and so um we get asked a lot if we can use topsoil because it's cheap and it comes in little bags that are easier to lift Mm -hmm. and the answer is no not in a pot um we if you Think about all of the things Christina just listed. They're all designed to be light. Peat moss is super fluffy. Perlite is a lightening agent. Um, So it's all there to like lighten up the system, let water through, let you physically move your pot. What I'm actually laughing about is our bed prep episode where we had, I, Sarah reminded me included not to use potting soil in your beds. (laughs) I was like, can't be that bad, right? She's like, don't do it (laughs) i mean it's not the end of the world to add a little i dump my old potting soil in and mix it into soil but you don't just want to have a you know a garden that you created with potting soil 
Yeah, I mean, one of the things about potting soil is it dries out um, really, really quickly, which is part of the reason you don't use it as a replacement in your in-ground. Um, so, like, I have all the soil in my pots from the winter. I didn't take them out. I'm kind of lazy that way. I like to reuse it. And it is, like, so, 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 so dry because we didn't have any moisture all week all winter and if you like poured water on that right now it just like repels the water the water doesn't soak through um so I actually you know go and like charge it a little bit and I like put a little bit of water and then I start to mix it in and it kind of like slowly starts to absorb it again um but that you know it just shows you like how um that soilless mix really you know keeps water like moving through and and the drainage good so speaking of water that's one of the challenges that i think a lot of people have when gardening in apartments and i know we run into it when we're working on school gardens too is access to water so how do you combat that yeah okay i will be honest i'm so spoiled in my living situation right now because there's a spigot one on either side of the building. <laughs> and so I have this beautiful stainless steel hose that's super lightweight. And I can go hook it up to the spigot and drag it down to my balcony and I can water just with a hose. Um, before I did that, I filled up <clears throat> containers of water in the bathtub which, by the way, is a great way to do it. It's just slow because, you you know, you fill up a watering can or a five-gallon bucket or something. Um, but that is probably the biggest challenge of, like, where you're going to get access. And it would be very, very rare that you'd have an apartment that has, like, an outside spigot, spigot just on the balcony. Or at least one that doesn't require the spigot key. Which oh. aren't that difficult to override, but we don't advocate for that. Follow yeah. the rules of your apartment. <laughs> That's true. Very like commercial buildings will have that spigot key. Um, same with schools. Mm-hmm. So that can be a really big challenge. But um, I was thinking of, so my parents had a waterbed, like uh-huh. most, most people's parents, I think at one point had a waterbed yeah. and we had a huge fish tank and um if you take off the little mesh thing off the end of your kitchen sink spout, you can put an adapter for a hose. And that's how I remember my dad refilling like the fish tank in the waterbed. Um, I don't think it was a garden hose. I remember it being this like one of those white plastic hoses. Yeah. But it just had an adapter on the end so that you took the current end off your sink spout yeah. and screwed this hose adapter on. And you could run that out to your apartment. It would That's be slow. You would not get the water pressure a hose gets. Yeah. But it would be maybe easier on your back than hauling water. Yeah. That would be interesting to try. Um, yeah. I have not tried that. I think I'm always like in my head, it's like the worst case scenario happens. Like <laughs> It slips off the sink and there's yeah. like water everywhere. Um, but go for it if you're brave. That would be fun. <laughs> Remember those little adapters they made for um, wa- water balloons to go oh. on your sinks and how terrible that was? And the water yes. ended up everywhere every time. Yes. That's what, yeah, yeah, I imagine that happening. Yeah. All right. One of my favorite things to do on the podcast, Christina, 
is to debunk things I see on Facebook. Ooh, all right. <laughs> so let's see if this works or if you've ever tried it. The latest one I've seen has been soak a banana peel in water and then use that to water your plants as a fertilizer. Well, I think it could make them smell good. I don't or know. Bad. Or bad. <laughs> like a banana. Um, I think you'd have fungus gnats. Maybe fungus gnats. I don't know. You know, here's the thing. My guess is that you are not going to get very much nutrients out of a banana that you've soaked. Um, particularly enough for what your potted plants need. So I would say that that is an interesting Facebook rumor. <laughs> All right. So we've debunked Epsom salt, you guys, and banana peels. Just stick with the regular stuff. I have to uphold my status as the nerdy one here and, and dwell on this banana peel longer <laughs> because uh, I think banana peels would be great in your compost. Right. But absolutely. compost has like lots of stuff acting on it. There's microbes, there's worms, there's bugs, there's hot and cold and water and light. And I mean, we've taken almost all that away in a pot. I agree. I mean, I occasionally... Will bury a banana peel not to help my plants just <laughs> it's like a, a composting in ground you know um they take a long time to break down actually um so i agree with sarah like great thing to add to compost um i do dump tea leaves in my plants but yeah. i don't know that that's specifically to feed them it's more to just get rid of my tea leaves. Right. My dad has a potted plant next to the chair that he always sits at at the end of the day. And at any given time, it has about 15 tea bags in it. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of tea bags, have you guys ever tried like the compost tea as a fertilizer? No, but I want to. I haven't either. It's mostly about my laziness around fertilizing that has stopped me but i would like to try it yeah i mean i think i haven't tried it either i think that compost tea would probably have a far better chance of being helpful than a soaked banana peel so have you been able to compost in your apartment that's very hard no i don't so here's the thing i kind of i'll be honest like uh, just like getting all of the plants planted and the water hauled and everything like that when you're living in an apartment space is sometimes like just a couple extra steps. And so when it comes to fertilizing, I'm honestly the person that goes to the store and buys the fertilizer in the boxes, the soluble fertilizer, which means it's like a granular that you add to water and it dissolves. And that's what I fertilize with. Um, sometimes I remember to fertilize. A lot of times I don't. Um, but in an ideal world, ideal summer, I will fertilize at least every seven to 14 days. Um, cause the reality is when you're in this, like, so you have this really light potting mix that's good for drainage, um, and you're watering the pots and it's raining, like nutrients just like leaks out. And as like Sarah talked about earlier, like when you're in garden, um, you have all these microbes and all these other things as well that are contributing to other organic matter and you're missing some of that when you're in this like pot situation. Um, so I do feel like if you want really big full plants, most likely you're going to have to add some fertilizer. 
I did just think of something. Yeah. It was a tiny conversation that Bob and I had as we were moving plants out of the greenhouse and mead. We did not have to fertilize up there once this year. What? Um, so we grow all of our plants up at a separate greenhouse that's heated for the winter and we move them to Lincoln to sell. And that's where you guys have visited us at. And we do fertilize there all summer long, but we usually have to give them a shot or two um, in the growing greenhouse. And this year we didn't, nothing got, you know, plants tell you when they need fertilizer, they get chlorotic, they slow down. It's, it's fairly obvious that they're hungry. The only thing different is we switched to a soil mix with mycorrhizae in it. So those microbes are so important and yeah. you can get them in a potting soil and you can get a inoculator yeah. to add it to pots. It's not too expensive. So I don't know if that lasted you through the summer, but it made it, it definitely made a difference just for us growing. Yeah. So you'd probably have to find it to add it because so what Sarah didn't say is that they can make these beautiful custom soil mixes with whatever they want in them. Um, and we're stuck like trying to figure out what we could add and make, make our own mix. So you'd probably have to find it and add it. All right, Sarah, chlorotic, mycorrhizae, <laughs> and inoculator. Okay, sorry. Um, we've already done lingo, so we'll have to do another one. So mycorrhizae are microorganisms that live in the soil, and they have a symbiotic, so a mutually beneficial relationship with roots, where um, they kind of live on plant roots, and they also increase plants' ability to take in nutrients and water from the soil. So they're living things on their own, and they live with plants. What was the other one? Chlorotic. Um, so if you notice your plant leaves, they're growing all happy and healthy and they're bright green and now they're getting yellow um, in a pot. You know, there's a there can be a lot of reasons. I think chlorosis is pretty easy to recognize as opposed to a disease because the whole plant kind of equally starts to yellow. And that just means that they're hungry. You know, they drink water and we kind of only ever think about that. But plants eat. They they take in minerals and nutrients from the soil, too. So a chlorotic plant is, is a hungry plant. And then inoculating is uh, basically adding that living organism. Um, I'm trying to think of a non-weird human dimension. I mean, we inoculate with um, smallpox. Yep. Mm -hmm. That was how the smallpox vaccine worked. You were inoculated with a small amount of it. That's what we're doing. We're adding a small amount of living mycorrhizae and hoping they grow into a community in mm. the in with the plant. And you can garden centers have started carrying this. Um, I don't think it existed maybe at the beginning of my career, but I've been yeah. seeing it more as as natural gardening is becoming popular. Yeah, I think, you know, there's things that we can add to that potting mix. So the mycorrhizae, if you could find that, um, you could add a little compost. Like if you have a good matured compost, I, don't add too much because you don't really want to totally change that drainage. But that would be a good way to get some more organic matter in. Worm castings. I'm trying to think of other things that. What about add. charged biochar? Ooh, I've never tried it, but that could be interesting. I think Sarah has done it with some bloom box, but I don't know about potted plants. Yeah, we worked with um, Heather Kingery to do biochar in, oh, I think it was three years ago. Guess what? You're all getting it again this year. We've got biochar for this year's bloom boxes. Um, and you charge biochar by adding it to compost before adding it to your garden. Um, I'm working on getting Lincoln biochar 
to come do an interview and we can ask them those questions. You could charge it with your banana peel water. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I do think that's maybe where compost tea might be better for a potted plant, though, because you've essentially, if I understand it right, you've soaked all the nutrients out into the liquid, just like you do a tea. Oh, we're all know. looking at each other. We all we don't are. Know how it works. But you know what? We should Google it. <laughs> we'll do a fact check, but I think it's a byproduct. I think, like, especially if your compost is up, raised up in, yeah. a, in a container, you can get the tea off of it. Uh, so, like, I can't get tea off of my compost because I have it just on the ground. It's just a, a basically yeah. a pile of stuff that my dog likes to roll in. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm thinking it would have the nutrients without the weight because that's what Christina's saying. Be careful, you know, just adding compost to your pots adds yeah. a lot of weight and water holding that plants in a pot can't handle. Yeah. But maybe the tea would have the nutrients without the weight. We're, yeah. We'll look at it. I don't know. Here's the thing. I am willing to experiment this year on my own pots. So I will make some compost tea and I will tell folks how it went. Sounds good. Okay. Okay. Um, Let's talk about the other types of fertilizer because I don't know if you guys were told this, but I was told in school that slow-release fertilizer is only slow-release up to a certain temperature. And we hit that temperature pretty early in the year. It's like 75, 80 degrees where it's no longer slow-release. It just melts and releases all Mm -hmm. of it. So... I don't think that's necessarily bad, but that means you can't count on it slow releasing through the year. Right. So I do add, so when I first in the spring and I'm like, kind of, like I said, I'm reusing potting soil. So I do consider that, right? Because I'm assuming that all of like the slow release fertilizer that came in the potting soil the year before is done, gone. So I do add that back in. Um, And sometimes I've even added that in through partway through the growing season and I kind of like, you know, scratch it into the surface a little bit. Um, but I for sure add it in and get it really worked into the potting soil um, when I first start out. But I think that's true. Like, I mean, the reality is, is like if you're watering a lot and like you said, the temperature, um, you don't have as much temperature control because your whole pot is exposed to the surrounding air so you're going to get higher soil temperatures too with potted plants i think we have a compost tea update all right compost tea hannah all right it sounds actually pretty simple but it's a lot of stuff at least in this (laughs) in this instance which i just googled compost tea in a large media conglomerate provided me with some answers (laughs) we'll just say it that way so you have to get like a five gallon no 10 gallon bucket you fill it with water or a five gallon you gather a big bucket you put water in it and then there's supposed to be um a catalyst so you dump a compost catalyst into the bucket which is usually you just buy that it's like a commercial mixture and then you put your compost in a sachet Ooh. Which just means you put your food waste, you know, that, that we would put in a compost in probably like cheesecloth would work. Pantyhose. Tied up pantyhose. That would work. Or they said like a wire mesh you could use. And then you float it in there for a while. And then you have to get a, a pump, like an air pump, like for an aquarium. 
and let it circulate for a while for I 24 hours. I offer to make compost tea. <laughs> I have all of this stuff, actually. You, you could do? use it, okay. except for the catalyst. Um, and then they recommend putting it not just on the soil, but also spraying it on the leaves. And I wondered what you all thought about that. <laughs> because they said, so, you know, there's beneficial bacteria and fungi that live on the leaves, but if you had to treat for something like powdery mildew, then the treatment can remove even the beneficial stuff, right? It's kind of the same as, like, why humans take probiotics sometimes. Um, so if you spray it on the leaves as well as the soil, it helps. Christina's making a fun face. <laughs> Sarah and I are, like, giving each other the eyes across the table. What are you As thinking? we process all of this. Okay. Um, I'm always skeptical of spray it on the leaves because it seems like everybody yeah. says that. I'm not, like, going to say... I mean, yes, there's beneficial bacteria living everywhere. But in my experience, putting water on leaves just leads to your leaves getting burned. Yeah, I just don't think if there is any tiny piece of benefit or reality to that statement <laughs> that putting it on your leaves is going to like I think keeping it off your leaves is going to provide more benefit I mean here's the thing if you're in a like my balcony for example and I'm growing plants yes it can be pretty windy sometimes I can also get really poor air circulation and that you know so whenever you have like water and stuff like that sitting on your leaves you're just gonna either end up with as Sarah said said like sunburn on your leaves or you're going to end up with like an environment if there if there's not good air circulation for other pathogens to develop i would be tempted to keep it off um and from a fertilizing standpoint i mean you're going to need to fertilize the soil because the roots are going to be uptaking that nutrients yeah i agree i think if you i mean say the scenario they talked about if you had to treat for powdery mildew then clearly you have poor air circulation of wet leaves. So causing poor, more poor air circulation of wet leaves is hardly going to help. And I just try not. I mean, keeping water off the leaves is the best way to yeah. prevent powdery mildew. So let's not make them wet. I don't know. When you Google compost tea and um, master gardeners, it gets contentious. So um, we'll see. Maybe we will try this uh, this year. Um, but I think, I mean, I think the most important part for this conversation to remember is if it sounds too good to be true, it might just sound too good to be true. What is it? Compost tea miracle product or snake oil? Let's read that in our free time. <laughs> okay, we'll put so that in the show. Here's the thing. I don't think... I think I can speak for the three of us to say none of us have, like, taken the time to read a scientific paper on compost tea. <laughs> and so maybe we need to do a little bit more research on yeah. that particular thing. I feel like there's, there's the obvious part where if you leach nutrients out of compost and pour it on the roots of your plants, that sounds great to me. I mean, yeah. logic checks out all the way along. Yeah. Using it, you know, I hear some claims about compost tea growing you know, giant, massive plants and doubling your fruit production. Yeah. Those I'm always a little more skeptical yeah. of. Yeah. And here's the thing. If you just need to go buy the little $4 box of soluble fertilizer that will last you like three years, 
go for it. It's okay. And which one? I know you've got you've got combos written down. Which one do you use? Okay, so here's the thing. This was like my little complicated scenario. Sometimes I switch the fertilizers. <laughs> like sometimes I alternate. So the standard all-purpose fertilizer that's soluble that you tend to see in the garden center is higher in nitrogen. So you can think about it as like um, helping build the foliage. I'm going to stop right there because Hannah's going to check us anyway. So fertilizers, their um, components are always listed as your N, P, and K, your nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus. Those are the three main, those are their, um, if you look at the periodic table, that's where those weird letters come from. Those are the three main components of any fertilizer, and they, they're they the macronutrients. They serve the biggest purpose to the plant. There's always micros, the little guys, but these are the three things we're yeah. paying attention to. Thank you, Sarah, for all of it. Um, so, yeah, so this is kind of like the big end we think of. And actually, you know, things like rainfall has a lot of, like, nitrogen, just like in rainfall. So, um, you know, I, I've noticed that, like, if you get some good rains in my pots, like, sometimes I'm like, all right, I don't really need to do anything um for a while but sometimes i will switch um and do like an alternate or like maybe once a month or something and i will pull out a soluble fertilizer that is higher in um, potassium and so it just helps encourage a little bit more blooming or fruiting on your plants yeah so there's options you can see like it'll say on there like usually it's like great for blooms or something like that that's that clues you in that it might be different, but you can always look at those three letters. And if the middle letter is higher um, in number, you know it's good for that. I know I can see a lot of questions where like with potting soil, there's all these different really specific potting soils. And honestly, they work very similarly other than like a succulent mix. Potting soil is kind of a marketing thing. Fertilizers not. When they say better for blooms, better for fruit, better for foliage, that really is a different um, recipe. Right. So, um, you know, I, I know some people are like, well, are they just trying to market me three kinds of fertilizer? No. Fertilizer, it really is yeah. different recipes for different purposes. Yeah. And they're quite different. Like if you look at, so as Sarah said, there's like the three letters, right? NPK. So, like, the first one I pulled out, which is just kind of all-purpose, was, like, 24N, 8P, 16K. And then the one that was, like, to help encourage blooms was 15N, 30P, and 15K. So you can see how those numbers are, like, truly changing depending on what formula. You aren't going to hurt your plants unless you decide a little extra – like, if you're the person that's, like, a little, like, extra lotion on my face – is a good thing (laughs) or a little extra like cream in my coffee is a good thing. And you go, I'm just going to add like a little extra fertilizer and that will be a good thing. I'm here to tell you that will not be a good thing. (laughs) You will burn your plants. So follow the directions and don't go the extra on the fertilizer. So then there's a lot of different things that we can garden with in our apartments. And I think one popular thing is vegetables for sure. So have you done both vegetables and flowers, I guess, as, as we might say? And what what do you think the difference is or how do you need to treat them differently? Okay. So I have an apartment um, and my outdoor space is not very sunny. So I have been trying to do one, my, one of my pots and vegetables. 
um, with minimal success, I will say. It's just, I don't think it has enough, enough sun. So maybe that's the first thing. If you have a lot of sun, doing vegetables on your balcony might be very successful. If you have a shady balcony or um, not very much sun, you might not have very much success at all with vegetables. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Um, the other thing with vegetables I would say is, I mean, I love the fact that there's so many different vegetables that do well in pots. Um, of course, like if herbs are not a vegetable, but we always throw them in there. So like I do do herbs every year cause they're easy to grow. They're easy to harvest. They can actually handle a lot of different light conditions and they're pretty forgiving. Um, but you know, things like tomatoes and potatoes and radishes and things like that are all things that you can grow in pots. Um, I do like Swiss chard, that's really forgiving to light conditions and I'll do lettuce. Um, so those, you know, those types of things all lend themselves to pots. Um, I think you just have to be probably the thing I see the most is like people picking too small of container for their vegetable that they're growing. So, you know, if you're going to do it, uh, if you don't have a gigantic container, you know, pick like a tomato that's made for a patio. That's a variety that can grow on the, on the patio. Um, and just, you know, be cognizant of some of those things um, as you're growing your vegetables. Um, flowers, it's like this, it's going to be the same thing of like really thinking through your light conditions again and what you can grow. Um, there's a lot of, if you have sun, you just have like I feel like endless options <laughs> and a lot of great pollinator plants that you can grow that are annuals that are great for pollinators. Um, you can grow things like zinnias and cosmos and, you know, all sorts of things that are attractive to pollinators. Um, if you have more shady conditions, I think you're probably looking more at like foliage plants for the most part. Um, there are some things that are tropicals that, that bloom. I don't think I could necessarily consider them all like habitat plants. <laughs> volunteers i'm trying to think sarah's can you think of anything that would be like because even begonias i don't f no, see as being i think a, a lot of the foliage plants that we grow in pots um maybe you could go over like a sedge that would provide shelter but yeah. you know we've talked about where you are a ground floor apartment you may get quite a bit of visitors from pollinators a sixth floor apartment yeah i mean are you even if you have no food do they need shelter up there? And I would say at that point, you're gardening for you and the right. benefit it provides you. Yeah. And I think that's something to really like remember with, you know, our, our, our patio gardens, our apartment gardens, they can't do everything. Like you can't do everything in a space that's like three foot wide by <laughs> 10 foot long. Um, so really kind of thinking through, you know, how do you want it to feel? How do you want it to look? What do you want out of it? And what are you willing to take care of? Because things like vegetables are going to require a lot more work than something like a Boston fern that's in a pot that you're just occasionally watering, you know, every week. And I know when I gardened in apartments, I was dying to grow something I could eat. I mean, I mm -hmm. think that I just felt the separation from being in a yard very strongly. And I just really wanted to grow something I could eat. Vegetables, um, like you said, if you've got the sun, they'll do great. You also have to have room and 
a sturdy enough patio to hold all of that soil volume. Herbs and greens are super forgiving and really easy to grow in pots, like microgreens and um, like sandwich greens, like Swiss chard oh, and yeah. baby lettuce mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, really easy to grow in pots. Yeah, I didn't even think about the microgreens. That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, at the, I, I'm starved for those every spring. Mm-hmm. I could make so many sprout and microgreen sandwiches. It's not even funny. So um, they asked me, I, I guess I'm going to skip to the end and give away my plant of the day. <laughs> but so I was, they're like, what's your plant of the day? I'm like, lettuce. So they're like, what? <laughs> but here's the thing. So my it's like early May right now. Um, and I did my pots for spring with pansies, which by the way, the blooms are edible, super fun to decorate things with. Um, and then I, I use lettuce for the middle of them and Swiss chard. So now I'm harvesting. Like the, I think I planted them back in March. So I've been harvesting this lettuce and it's great. Like I have so much lettuce. I'm swimming in lettuce right now. <laughs> um, but that is a really easy thing to be able to do for people. Like if you're wanting something, lettuce is great to grow in pots um because you can just harvest what you need and um grow the stuff that like cuts and comes again like the leaf lettuce not like the head lettuce Mm -hmm. um and herbs like there's so many different herbs you can grow um for all the different dishes you make they all do very very well in pots um i will grow basil and thyme and oregano and you know all those things i have like a pot of mints I, I do the mint separate in its own pot. Um, it's because it's so aggressive. Um, and then I like will harvest that and dry them out. And then I have those like dried herbs for over the winter, which feels very satisfying. Um, but the thing you can do with herbs, and I don't know if you ever did this, Sarah, with your apartments, is you can let them go to bloom. And a lot of people don't because they want to actually utilize them for culinary purposes. But if you let them go to bloom, they're great pollinator plants. Yeah, I never did it in my apartment because I was harvesting too much of them. But now that I have a yard and I plant more herbs, I let almost all of them go to bloom. And I realize they're not native, but they are some of my most visited pollinator plants. Absolutely. Like the pollinators love when I let things go to bloom. I mean, dill, my dill is always covered in um, caterpillars. And then I do eventually let it go to bloom for that. And then it reseeds itself, too. Yeah. Yeah, dill is like a host plant for several things, I think. Um, So real quick, we've got a couple things to touch on before we wrap up. But one of them is, have you done perennials in pots and let them try to overwinter? Okay, I have not. But I lived in an apartment one time where somebody at some point had filled up a like old wine barrel or whatever. And they had bearded iris and sedum. Like you think of like autumn joy. It was probably autumn joy. And I know I wasn't doing anything with it. And that thing, they were like, those plants were surviving. So I think that there are particular um, perennials that would do well in that type of situation. And the things I would probably look for are the things that are really, 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 really tough. So um bearded iris i think could be one um like i said like any of the sedums honestly i think would do just fine overwintering um i think you could do things like catmint or maybe even 
I don't know. I don't know if you could do a salvia. It might be worth trying. I have an aster coming back in a half I've heard asters are okay. I think the main thing is you've got to have a pot big enough to do a little insulating, you know, plant roots expect to be in the ground protected from, you know, the ground freezes, but um, it's it's kind of protective. And so you need a pot big enough to do that. And then I think those drought, winter drought tolerant species are key. Because we we don't think about plants getting winter moisture, but they do. And so if your patio is super covered and never gets any snow on it, you may have to, you know, do a tiny bit of watering here and there. Um, because plants really do, they do, re- they're sleeping, they're not dead for the winter. Yeah. And they do want a little drink of water here and there. Yeah, I think, and just to clarify, like when when Sarah says you need a bigger pot, okay, let's define what a big pot is because I feel like that's, yeah, what defines a pot size because I think I've heard people say, oh, I really want, like I have a big pot and then I'll look at it and be like, that is not very big. So when you're talking about like perennials in particular or even our vegetables, like what size of container, like what do you consider to be large? Like for me, I'm looking at one that's like probably at least 18 inches across, but probably more like 24 or 26 inches across even. I mean, I did tomatoes in a five-gallon bucket one time and it worked, but they definitely wanted it bigger. Yeah. My size estimates are not to be trusted because I'm pretty sure my dog is small. I call him small all the time. He's 75 pounds. (laughs) I've been told that's not small. (laughs) I mean, just, I guess, be cognizant of, like, what your intentions were behind what you're growing and that pot size because most things don't want to be, like, stuffed in a pot except for maybe, like, a succulent that can get away with that. Yeah, I mean, I the aster I have coming back is in just, like, the half barrels they sell at the garden center. And so I don't think that's that? that big. 18 inches? Maybe 24. 24 inches, 24, yeah. but it's only maybe a foot and a half deep. And to me, that's not big. I mean, if I put six-pack annuals in there, I'm maybe putting two six-packs yeah. in. And so, you know, I know people who would look at that and say, oh, that's huge because they buy pots that fit one plant. Right. But to me, that's not, you know... If I were going to plant vegetables in there, all I would do is maybe lettuce. Yeah. So are you saying the bigger the better, or can you go too big on a pot for something? I don't think if you have the right kind of soil, I don't know if you're necessarily going to go too big. I think the question is, like, is the plant going to, like, is your plant selection going to fill the pot so it looks like how you want it to? So if you had something like an echevera and you're like i'm gonna plant this echevera in a pot that is 12 inches across (laughs) and it's just gonna be that one plant in it the reality is the plant's probably gonna do okay but it's not gonna fill the pot so you're just gonna have this like one plant like sitting in the middle of that pot yeah i mean plant health wise that they'll be more than happy to have the extra space but you might not aesthetically like it or you might not want to haul it up to your apartment Or haul all the soil up to fill it. I just bought this, like, giant pot yesterday. It's, like, two feet tall and two feet around. 
and I'm looking at it trying to figure out how many bags of potting soil is going to take yeah. to fill it. So it'll probably end up with some milk drugs. Yeah. Okay. So here's the, so as Sarah said, I have a big pot like that too. So here's my tip. Because occasionally you're like, okay, I finally have to like kind of replenish the soil, but I don't want to haul the soil out. So I will do like a partial replenishment and I will like just pull out the soil, you know, like the top, I don't know, eight inches or something you know, on a pot like that. And I will put in some new soil. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love my big pot and you will love yours too. <laughs> I will. I'm super excited. So I'm going to use this opportunity to transition into why we are gardening and our yeah. the purpose. So I'm very excited to use this pot. We have a cement patio and it does have a roof on it, but it faces west. So mm. it's very warm. And so uh, we already have three hanging pots that hang across the front of it. And we're going to try to fill it with as many plants as possible because the more green in that space, the cooler and more comfortable and livable it it will feel. Yeah. And so that's why I bought this pot. And, you know, I get I get a lot of conversation about how can I garden for pollinators? I live in an apartment on the fifth floor. How can I garden for the environment? My whole apartment is shade. And, you know, we can put a lot of stress on native plants, but if you plant anything, you're improving your environment. And sometimes the purpose of the garden is for you, the person, or for you and your neighbors, or just to Mm -hmm. cool down your space or, you know, enjoy the beauty. We don't always have to have earth shattering purposes to every plant. Yeah. Some of my, you know, favorite plants I've grown on my balcony have not honestly had a purpose beyond myself, like myself, which I'd solve it. Like that, you know, like feeling of like being cool and like wanting to be outside during the hot summer. Like, you know, I've planted things like bananas and elephant ears, like that just like get giant and give you that really big wall of green. And it changes the space, right? Because, like, mentally, other there's research that, like, when we're around plants, like, we just, we have this response to being in those environments and they become, like, more comfortable and they become places that we can rejuvenate. And there's an important component to that. And those can also work to give a little screening if you have a neighbor or Absolutely. something next to you that you don't want to stare at. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's great purposes for that. And I always, you know, if you start to look like close at all your plants too, even though we're talking about pollen, like people want to provide habitat for pollinators, like there's lots of insects taking advantage of your plants. So whether they're like pollinators that you're really wanted to attract or not, if you start to get in there and look, like your plants are covered in insects. And there's so many more beneficial insects than the highlights. You know, everybody knows a bumblebee and a monarch. We're going to get to our pollinator episode. And even pollinators don't exhaust the beneficial insects. Uh, if, even if, if you're up high and you've got insects on your plants, you're likely feeding the neighborhood birds. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I laugh because I plant fennel every year mm-hmm. and I let it go to like into flower because I want it as a plant for butterflies. So particularly swallowtails are attracted to things like dill, parsley, and fennel. So I 
get so excited whenever I see that first little caterpillars, right? And I'm like, yes, like they found the plant and pretty soon it's like coated in, in caterpillars. And um, I don't think one of them have ever made it to even chrysalis like stage. The birds find them and pick them off. Um, but it's great, you know, like they're still, it's bird food and you're still supporting habitat. And then the the thing we wanted to kind of end on too is, you know, one of the things about living in an apartment is you have a very close community. And in some apartments, that's more well-formed than others. You know, you've got neighbors that know each other, talk to each other, trust each other. In some apartments, you have people just living next to each other. Um, in some, you have neighbors who are outright trying to avoid each other with green screens like Hannah. Um, but... <laughs> Plants are a huge catalyst for creating community. And, you know, I you have a hollyhock story that yeah. is a great example of that. Yeah. Um, do you remember it? Yeah, okay. I can tell it. So I, I do feel like plants have been a way to foster community. Um, like my first, I guess, little story with fostering community is like I had a neighbor who I didn't realize used to garden and couldn't anymore. So when they saw, when she saw that I started growing plants, like I realized that she was coming out during the day and like looking at them all. And so like, she's like slowly started to help me garden over the years. Then I started taking it over this like in-ground space along our front walk. Um, and I planted a whole bunch of like shrubs and perennials and things like that. But I planted hollyhocks in them and the hollyhocks like stubbornly did not bloom for <laughs> Like, it was actually past the point that they were technically supposed to bloom. So it was really frustrating. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Um, plants don't always read books. So um, during lockdown, I think it was-ish. I mean, it was sometime during, like, early COVID when we were all still, like, working from home. And my desk was set up um, next to my front door. And my front door was open so I could, like, hear what was going on. And my hollyhocks had started to bloom finally. And they were those black ones. Um, and they were really, really, really stunning. Like, absolutely gorgeous. And I, I, like, I hear this young college girl who, like, lived in one of the apartments in my building going, aren't these amazing? And I realized she's, like, video chatting somebody, <laughs> showing them, like, the amazing, like, blooms on these hollyhocks. And they have, like, this whole conversation about the hollyhocks. So, um, you know, I had, a, I had a neighbor below me who used to have these little girls that were, like, a visitor. And, you know, they would go in the garden and, like, start to, like, make, like, things out of the stuff that they found in the garden and, like, play in it. So I do feel like, you know, even if people don't, always tell you right away like oh, I love it you start to see that they are interacting with it and paying attention and it's important and I think it also has given people um the idea or the confidence sometimes like oh I could put a pot out too like you know I can do this as well We'll just end with some ideas if you want to go further than gardening on your patio and you are in an apartment, there's your community is likely full of chances to get involved. If you've got community gardens where you can rent plots, sometimes people have community gardens where they work together 
growing food for their food banks. There's a great example of that in uh, Dundee. If you are involved at a school, a church, a community center, they likely have, um, whether it's a formally formed committee or just a group of volunteers that helps out, um, teachers a lot of times could use help in gardens that they're planting with their students over the summer when all the students are gone. So look to your greater community because there's likely multiple chances to get involved. Um, even if you don't see those invitations being broadcast, just ask. Libraries are another good spot. A lot of our public libraries are starting to get more into gardening. And I've seen a few who have started seed banks at the garden. Oh, fun. At the library, I mean, slash garden. Yeah. Seed banks. <laughs> so that's like a great place to get seeds. Are they like usually for free or do you exchange? Okay. Okay. I think we've exhausted our time talking about apartment gardens. So Hannah, what is your plant of the week? My plant of the week is ble my bleeding hearts because I thought they died and now they're back and they're blooming better than ever. I really thought Alistair had destroyed them because it's one of his favorite parts where he gets his zoomies after yeah. a walk and he runs and he runs and he runs and they're standing up to him. So I've been impressed so far and I'm sure we'll talk about it on our Gardening with Dogs episode. And Sarah, what's your plan of the week? Um, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to do a garden of the week. <laughs> we have in our front yard under a giant maple tree, we have, we call it our hosta garden. It's actually a mix of hostas and sedges. And it's a whole bunch of different hostas and a whole bunch of different sedges. And in the inch and a half rain we got yesterday, it just looked so bright green and springy. I just dug a little water collection trench and it was collecting water and soaking it. It was doing its job. It kept the river off our driveway. No mulch escaped the garden. And I just, I just couldn't get over. I just sat there looking at the bright green of the sedges coming up in the spring and our hosta leaves are starting to open. Um, it was just so, so springy on a cold, cold, rainy day. I love sedges and hosta together. I do too. That's good. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of an odd combo, but we really like collecting hostas. So there's like, we have six, seven different kinds of hostas in this garden. Soon to be nine after I plant the two I bought at Spring Affair. <laughs> so Christina, you already told us your plant of the week is lettuce. Yeah. It's do you want to add one? I'll add one because I gave away that one. Um, I think it's peonies. So I have three peonies planted in the like little in-ground space I took over and they are just so tough. I mean, I know we talk about our natives all the time as being tough plants, but we do have to give kudos to the few non-natives that are equally as tough. And I think peonies are one of those. Like you see them as like old homestead plants and like growing out in farms with like little care and I get so excited they all have they're all budded and I can't wait for them to bloom and awesome community plants too because people are always sharing them always sharing them yeah yeah and there's so many different kinds you can get now and some that are more like shrub yeah so I think I'm just very excited about the peonies all right well thank you for coming Christina we appreciate it talking Thanks for about, having me yeah talking about apartment gardening so thank you for listening everybody don't forget to rate and review us and subscribe send us to your friends send in your questions so that we can do another question uh, we'll drop one a surprise one maybe if you send us your questions like we did last time so thank you for listening 
Bloombox and Bloombox Growing Deeper are programs of the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum. Mm-hmm.